Hey, thanks for listening to the Spa Retailer Podcast. We appreciate your support. Jeff got stuck on a train and was unable to be on this interview, so you just get me and our guest, Joe Stone. Before he opened his store, Swim Fitness, in Northern California, Joe is one of the founders of Balboa, which, as most of you probably know, makes control systems and other hot tub equipment. So Joe has been around the industry in a variety of roles for a long time, and today we're specifically talking to him about swim spots. I hope you enjoy it. This is the Spa Retailer Podcast, where we talk about retail, business, and all things related to the hot tub industry. I'm Megan Kendrick, owner of Spa Retailer Magazine. And I'm Jeff Bailey, owner of Spring Dance Hot Tubs in Philadelphia. This episode is brought to you by Strong Spas. So today on the podcast, we have Joe Stone. And man, Joe, you've been a pretty regular in the magazine, I feel like, for, <laughs> for several years, which is which is great. You've always been really helpful to us. But your store uh, is Swim Fitness in the Northern California area, correct? That is correct. Right, well, thank you for, for joining us today. My pleasure. You know, one of the reasons why we like to talk to you in the magazine is because when you started your business, you had a strategy for swim spas. And that's one of the things I that did. we wanted to, yeah, that's one of the things we wanted to talk to you about today. However, before we do that, let's talk about your background in the industry because you've been around <laughs> in the hot tub industry in one way or another for a while before you opened yeah. your store. Yeah, I got started a long time ago. And it's kind of a story in and of itself. I got actually involved in the hot tub business in 1984 was my intro, 1984. A little side story was I was in the boat manufacturing business at the time. Actually, today they call them personal watercraft vehicles. Personal water, are those like, are those like jet skis? Jet skis, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I was like, I think it's Ski-Doo's, but that's a, that's a brand name. <laughs> that's a brand name, yeah. Jet, well, Jet Ski's a brand name. Oh, wow. Uh, Cal- I didn't Kawasaki know that. Jet Ski, yeah. So we were... Uh, me and my partner, uh, we were in the boat business. So I needed a new fiberglass shop. So I took my molds right down the street from where we were to a new fiberglass guy that pulled in there. And I said, hey, I got some molds and you do fiberglass and I need some help. Every morning when I would see this guy, he would raise himself out of a, what looked like a giant eight foot dog dish. He would stand up completely covered in fiberglass because at the time, which I didn't realize it, but he was a hot tub manufacturer and he was making them out of gel coat and fiberglass. And this individual's name was Ron Clark, and he was the original founder of Sundance Spas. Right, yeah. Yeah. And so one day Ron came to me and he said, hey, you guys seem like you know what you're doing. I've got these, at the time they called them packs. And he said, I got this pack I'm using for my hot tubs or my spas at the time. And he said, they don't work. See if you guys can make them work. So I took one of these packs back to my shop, put it on the workbench, and I told my partner, I said, you know what? I don't have a clue. But I think if we can make this work, we got a job. <laughs> <laughs> well, so the pack, though, that electronics, I mean, was that something you had a background in? Well, at the time, we were an engineering and, and uh, electronics design company doing all kinds of stuff. Um, back in the early 80s, the aerospace industry was exploding and booming, and they were, they were subbing or jobbing out, as they called it, all sorts of projects to sideline companies, you know, to help them. Well, we did a lot of that. Then I met Ron Clark, and Ron said, I need a pack. He was using 
all kinds of stuff. So that was our intro in, in introducing electronics and water. <laughs> and uh, the sort of the rest is history. Um, Balboa then grew, well, we were, I should premise that, I should say, we were a, a sole supplier to Sundance until about 1987. In fact, okay. it was October 87. That's when the market crashed. Uh, we had, you know, Black Mondays, they called it. And it basically shut down the hot tub industry. And Ron, uh, just being a manufacturer, basically for six months, didn't even buy a widget from me. Because wow. he said, well, you know, the market crashed. Took a while for him to recover. And ultimately, in order to survive, I had to start wearing out shoe leather and going door to door to the different manufacturers around town. And my next, my next client or customer that we hooked up with, I guess you'd call it, would be Kohler. At the time, Kohler, these are the pedestal sink people. Sure, yeah. Yeah, at the time, they were in the hot tub business, and uh, we re-engineered their product line and introduced what we had going for them across the board, and and they introduced their product at one of the big national shows. I forget which it was at the time, and even to this day, I would consider the technology that they had introduced state-of-the-art, and here we are in 2019. Wow. Wow. but uh, Herb Kohler Jr. called me up one day after about eight months in the business with him. And he says, hey, Joe, I got good news and bad news. He says, good news is I just sent you a check for everything we owe, owe you. Bad news is we're out of the hot tub business. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, what? <laughs> um, I don't need to get into the details why, but basically they just said it wasn't worth it for him. Yeah. So uh, then I hooked up with, um, gosh, it was a big pool company who owned a hot tub company out of uh, Connecticut there. And then actually, um, gosh, Leisure, Aqua Leisure. What the heck was that? It's premium. Um, that's been too many years. And uh, we hooked up with them, and they were doing uh, the same thing. He launched in Atlantic City, New Jersey at the big trade show. I guess this was probably 89 or 90, somewhere around there, 1990s. Yeah. And Jim McClure was the CEO of the company. He's a industry veteran. He's been around for 100, 100 years. Yes. He launched across the board, and away we went. And then his parent company, which was a big pool company, driven by some board of directors in Manhattan somewhere, they basically said, you know what? We're going to close this pool company. We're going to shut down this hot tub company. So he calls me. <laughs> he says, hey, I got good news, bad news. I says, I hate these calls. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. That's you know, what it it's, we had another guest on not that long ago who was talking about the same company, Jim McClure's company in Connecticut. So, you know, it, it's funny how, you know, insular this industry is. Everyone oh. kind of knows everyone. And if you've been in it long enough, these ties go back for decades. They do. They go along around. And so I guess to shorten up the story from there, my next client was Coleman Spas, and um, I met uh, the, the grandson of the founder of Coleman. He was running the thing, and he had said, hey, we set this company up in Chandler, Arizona, and he bought three companies and merged them all together, moved everything into Chandler, and he hired this young guy named, G- uh, gosh, his name was Jim, I forget his last name, right out of college, cum laude, considered him a turnaround artist. He hired him and put him in there and said, make it work. And he called me up and says, we, in order to make this work, I think we need your control technology. And he went, he did it across the board. And that was a real success story. And for many years thereafter, we were, Coleman was one of our clients as a yeah. owner of Balboa. And, I mean, Jeepers. And from there, I just went down the list. And when I sold Balboa Instruments in 2007, 
we had 75 clients around the world, basically spa manufacturers, pool manufacturers, kitchen, mm-hmm. bath, steam, sauna manufacturers all over the world. We went from a small little shop into 400 employees and sold it in 2007. I retired, but only lasted about two and a half or three years because this is how I got involved in the business I'm in is Master Spas and Michael Phelps right. formed an alliance uh, just prior to 2010. So it was 2010, they came after me and said, hey, we want to get you back in the game. And I said, well, thanks, but no. (laughs) (laughs) They were persistent and they stayed after it. Yeah, I said, okay, I'll jump in. So I basically bought the rights to the names and all that for Northern California. Opened up my first store in 2010 as a retailer in a city called Manteca, California. That's uh, about an hour plus south of Sacramento. Okay. And uh, ran that for a few years. Then I opened up the Sacramento, well, I think it was a year later, I opened up the Sacramento store. And then it grew into good grief. I had stores in the North Bay, Sacramento, Manteca. We were doing these big outdoor events twice a month. It was a big giant Yahoo, man. This thing was huge. I had lots of people in it. We were selling lots of stuff. Yeah. It was uh, December of 16. I decided, you know, I, I just don't like it. And so uh, I shut everything down except the Sacramento store, and I've been here ever since. You know, that's interesting because I knew that you had expanded to a lot of stores, and then I knew that you had gone down to just the one, but I wasn't sure I wasn't sure why. So you just, it wasn't, I mean, you did you did come out of retirement to do this. So <laughs> well, I, <laughs> I can understand if you're like, there are some headaches I just don't really feel like I want to deal with at this point in my life. Yeah, well, it, it was, you know, I mean, there was some real economic reasons for it. I mean, everybody was making a lot of money and we were selling lots of stuff. But I said, at the end of the day, you know, the store was not profitable enough for him. And I, it was a good lesson I had to teach everybody who was involved. I said, look, you know, the bottom line is the company has to be making enough money to make it worthwhile. And it's, yeah. I mean, it was a little too thin for my liking. So I mm-hmm. scaled it way back. I'm fine with one little store. <laughs> now I'm in Sacramento. And even from this location, I ship product. I've installed swim spas in the San Juan Islands. That's on the border of Vancouver and Washington off there on the islands. I've put them in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, the Hawaiian Islands. I've got them in San Diego. And I do all of that out of this one store here in Sacramento. That's great. I mean, you really, you know, obviously you got to find what works for you, not only financially, <laughs> but also just, you know, from a, from a personal standpoint, what do I want my business to be and to look like? And it sounds like you've kind of found your sweet spot. Yeah, you know, it, it's a much smaller business, but I'm okay with that. You know, with Balboa Instruments, when I owned that, that grew into, we had almost 400 employees mm-hmm. uh, in Southern California. And I always said, you know, I really don't want to do that again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so now I'm pretty small and I like it all. Basically, most of my resources are all what I call 1099s. They're all independent contractors, which is a great deal. I got a lot of delivery yeah. crews and service crews and salespeople and we call them in when we need them and other than that we just work out of our store and there's just a handful of us and away we go when people retire and then come back which happens <laughs> i feel like happens often in the hot tub industry it it's there's usually a variety of reasons but i feel like either they just don't like being retired or it's more an opportunity they feel like they can't pass up which one was it kind of for you well, probably a little of both. I was pretty busy. I had a big ranch and I was into performance horses and we had a lot going on. 
and I actually had a horse hauling business and I was dragging horses to Fort Worth, Texas and Oklahoma. And, you know, so it took a lot to get my attention. In fact, that's why I was hesitant in the beginning when these guys said, hey, we want to get you back in the game. You know, at the end of the day, I know this really well and uh, I know this industry really well. And when they told me that Michael Phelps and Master Spas had strategically aligned themselves together and they were cooperatively working together to develop a swim spa line, it caught my attention. And literally, I met Michael Phelps for the first time in Las Vegas. I think it was in association to one of the Aqua shows back then, I think they called it. Uh, they were always in Las Vegas. And I, he had flown in from some swim meet in China and stopped in Las Vegas because he had worked with Master. So I went there to meet with him and I wanted to ask him personally, why are you doing this? And honest to goodness, at the time, he said, well, I have one Olympics left in me and it's all about that. So he thought. And yeah. That was this is before the London Games, right? <laughs> he said, you know, the the bigger picture is he has a he has a vision to encourage every kid on the planet, get in the water and your life will change for the better. And I thought that's pretty cool. Along with the pressure everybody was putting on me, I said, okay. So I jumped in, opened up the first door, and away we went. But when I did it, I really wanted to emphasize the swim spa into the business. Honestly, right. I'm not a real big hot tub guy as an industry veteran, I'm a big swim spa guy. And so I consider my store, I'm a swim spa store who sells a few hot tubs. Conversely, I would suggest most, if not all other dealers around the country are hot tub dealers who sell a few swim spas. Yeah, I feel like I only know maybe one or two other people in the industry who have kind of the view that you do, where their focus really is swim spas. Pretty much everyone was a hot tub business that has added swim spas, not the other way around. <laughs> yeah, and so from the beginning, my my plan was to just show and display swim spas in a way that was uniquely different. Number one, it takes up 90% of my floor space. Two, we have, you know, I have four, five, or six on display display at any time and I'll have at least two of them different models and technologies full of water ready to go for people to swim test in store sure and I think that's a huge difference most dealers just don't want to give up enough real estate to do that for sure I mean most people only have the room when once they put all their hot tubs on display they only have room for one maybe two models I mean and and that's it I mean stores just aren't aren't big enough to show more Exactly. And I just chose to do it the opposite. Mm-hmm. So I filled it full of swims. And if I had a few corners left over, I'd stick a couple hot tubs in there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, besides besides the Michael Phelps partnership, what was it about swim spas that attracted you more so than hot tubs? Yeah, that's a great question, because honestly, that's where the passion remains today. And that's why I'm still in it. Yeah, I, I have literally seen people's physical lives change through an experience in a swim spa. And I can give you a hundred stories, but maybe one that I'll highlight that's always stuck in my mind. I had a a middle-aged woman come in. She was a retired police officer, was uh, admiring the swim spas and had been looking at them for some time. And she had told me she was a a retired police officer who was injured in the line of duty. And so that's about all I knew at the moment. And so Mm -hmm. that's why she was retired. So she gets into a, gets prepared to get into a swim spa to, to test it or try it out. And she has, I didn't know it when she walked in, but she had a prosthetic on. So she gets up to the top of the step on the edge of the swim spa and she takes her leg off. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> it kind of, I kind of sit there kind of dumbfounded going, oh, I didn't expect that. But the whole point is, she was telling me on land, without her prosthetic, she really struggles to get around, to move. It's hard to exercise. She gets in the water, and she's normal. Yeah. 
and I saw her facial expression change. I saw the color change. Her, she lit up. She was smiling. She says, look, I can be almost normal, and I only have one leg. I was moved by that, and, and since then, I mean, it's, it's been that a hundred times over. People's lives change for all kinds of reasons, and it's really aquatic therapy. People are after aquatic therapy for all kinds of reasons. It's really not swimming. I mean, it's a, it's a great vehicle to swim in. I mean, my triathletes, my college kids, we sponsor a lot of swim teams and so forth. I mean, they love it, but that's a really small niche right. of the market. That's a small, small percentage. Most people who are thinking about swim spas are thinking about aquatic therapy of some sort. And that's the magic that's associated with it is people realize their lives really do improve if they spend some time in the water. And just they can do mild to aggressive exercising of all sorts. You can walk, you can run, you can. I mean, I have people that come in. It's amazing. They come in here and say, oh, yeah, two weeks ago, I got a new hip. <laughs> yeah. Or I got a new knee. You know, it's like. Wow, that's like you know, you go through the drive-through and I'll have a heat, I'll have a hip with that chocolate shake. <laughs> I mean, good well, grief! And their their prescribed therapy by a doctor is aquatic therapy. So they get in the water, they're buoyant, they can move around comfortably, and you can literally have people walk circles in a you know they get a new knee or a new hip replacement, and their therapy is just go for a walk, but they're in the water, so they're buoyant, they're moving slow. You get a headwind in one direction, maybe a tailwind, and then you turn again, you got a headwind. And they rehab very quickly. And before you know it, gosh, they're back to normal. Yeah. You know, I I personally had a moment like that because, I mean, I know I'm only in my 30s, but I've had like, I don't know, 10 or 12 orthopedic surgeries. <laughs> All those old force injuries have come back to haunt me. And exactly. so, yeah, it wasn't long after we got married, we rented this little house that had a pool. And I got in that pool and it had been a long time since I'd been in any kind of water. And I got in that pool and it was like, wow, this is the first time I've been able to move without pain for months. You know, and it was just, it, there was just so much relief in that moment. And I had sort of the same feeling where it's like, I felt normal for the first time in a really long time. And that's one of the reasons why I'm also a huge proponent of swim spas, because I just think, like you said, they can change people's lives for the better. I mean, and again, it's not necessarily the swim spa and it's not swimming. It's it's getting in water. Right, exactly. But, you know, swim spas are so much, I feel like, more universally accessible to people to put in their backyards than Absolutely. a pool. And so there's there's just a lot of upside there. Well, there is. And I, I don't know necessarily about a lot of parts of the country, but I can tell you here in Northern California, you know, there's a housing explosion going on. And mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, there is no room for a pool. Yeah. I'm talking about backyards that are about twice the size of a swim spa. <laughs> it's like it's right. amazing. Because yeah. I mean, we have things called zero lot lining here in California. I don't know what that means. What does that mean? What that means is your neighbor's stucco of their house is on the edge of your property line. Oh, wow. And then you'll have, in some cases, five or 10 feet, and there's the stucco of your house so to speak. So, I mean, they call it zero outlining here and it's just amazing. They're That's stuffing crazy. as many homes on a postage stamp as they can. I live in Oklahoma. We don't have that problem here. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. we, have, we have plenty of housing going on right now. Housing starts going on, but yeah, we've got, we've got space. <laughs> 
part of the, the the real estate direction is sort of driving the hot the swim spa sure. business because you can't put a pool in you don't have enough room because yeah. there's things called setbacks you got to be so many feet off the property line so many feet away from your house and swimming pools there's just no room yeah exactly and you can't even get you know the equipment in to actually build them but even more so i like to say this with a swim spa a swim spa is cheaper to buy than a pool it's cheaper to install it's cheaper to operate and maintain, and it's much more green, if you want to call it that, than a swimming pool. Uh, and there's a lot of real valuable attributes to a swim spa versus a swimming pool. And so, you yeah. know, you can get into that all day long. But sure. really, the, the swim sp- and the swim spas are, maybe you got color combinations, you got contouring, you got incredible jetted technology and waterfalls and lights. And I mean, all the entertainment features that uh, you, you really can't do unless you get into a, you know, an enormously expensive backyard swimming pool. You know, you mentioned them being green, and that was kind of one of the reasons why we wanted to talk to you today, because you've been kind of on the swim spa side for a long time and are such a proponent of swim spas. We've never really talked about the life cycle of a swim spa and what happens when someone wants to get rid of it. I, mean, I feel like we're finally at a point where some swim spas have been on the market long enough where they don't work or people are ready to upgrade or they've sold their house and don't want to move it. And the new owner says, well, I don't want this to come take it away. What, what happens to a swim spa at that point in its life cycle? Because that's something we've never we've never talked about before in the magazine or on the podcast well it's an interesting perspective because honestly i've got some customers i've only i've been here about 10 years i guess doing this right. now there's a number of master spa customers who purchased swim spas in 2007 uh, 2006 somewhere around there and they're not ready to get rid of them i mean I have a hard time trying to convince them you really need to get a new one and they don't want to let it go. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, you would want a swim spot to last probably longer than 10 years for the money that you have outlaid. <laughs> right. And that's part of it. The other part of it is the um, they hold up so well and there's uh, over the years, the technology has advanced efficiencies and, you know, operational efficiencies and insulation efficiencies, all that's had dramatic improvements, but still there is not a lot of experience with what do you do with somebody who doesn't want them. Yeah. There's, there's a used market. It's very strong. People are selling their swim spas because they're moving. Either they take them with them or they leave them behind or the people who's buying their house, for example, may not want the swim spa. And if they don't want to take it with them, they put it on the used market and it goes and it's gone. And I have a part of the business designed to manage used product and I just don't have any. <laughs> it's That's hard to get. They're hard to get. They're hard yeah. to get. That's good though. I, you know, I actually saw, well, I had, actually had a swim spa pop up on Facebook the other day for a sale in my area. And I was surprised. I was like, oh, well, I wouldn't have thought about, you know, seeing a Swim spa for sale on Facebook Marketplace or wherever it was, but there it was. Well, what's interesting is there's one, right? There's one <laughs> that's for sale. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, at least here in Northern California, in fact, for most of the Western United States that I know of, there just aren't any available. Nobody really wants to let them go. You know, there's a couple here and there, but right now I have zero used or refurbished inventory at all. I have nothing. That's a good problem to have. But at some point, we are going to get to a place where we're going to have to figure out what to do with them, though, right? (laughs) Well, we are. Now, you know, I mean, just like a hot tub, they're just bigger. You can take them and dispose of them in any manner that would be typical to a hot tub. They're just bigger. But they're fairly easily refurbished. And there's a little bit of that trend starting to appear. I mean, uh, we've gone out occasionally and we'll replace the heaters and a couple of pumps and 
maybe replace a, uh, the lighting system or something and sort of refurbish it. There's even times where we replaced the exterior cabinet a little bit, refurbish that, dress them up, make them look nice and pretty again, and away we go. Okay. We've done that only because I have yet to convince them you really need to buy a new one. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So, uh, I think I got to get better at this somehow. I, yeah. But, uh, today, at least with the Master Spa line, and I'm an exclusive Master Spa retailer by choice, we've reached the pinnacle of efficiency standards. They're the one of the few manufacturers that exceed the what's called the California Energy Compliant Regulations, strictest in the nation. And yet, oh, I'm aware. <laughs> many, many states have simply adopted the California standards for efficiencies, and mm-hmm. Master Spas has been leading the, the industry on, on setting these standards and establishing everything. And so, again, the swim spas are just incredibly efficient, incredibly operationally efficient, and they're incredible. Literally, I love them. What do you see as the biggest hurdle to the swim spa market going forward? I think it's largely economically driven as long as people are comfortable enough to spend some money. I mean, swim spas can, in my world, you know, they range from the low teens upwards of forty-five to $50,000. And, you know, that's a big spread, but that's still a lot of money. Anywhere in there is a lot of money for a lot of people. As long as the economy is comfortable for most people, I see that as a good thing for swim spas. When the economy is going to turn sour or become difficult for a lot of people, that'll be partially attributed to the impediments of selling swim spas because they're expensive gadgets. Yeah. Here's an interesting side note, at least from my perspective. Most of my clients in swim spas, they do not finance them. They just write a check. Really? It's amazing. You're not the only, you're not the first person I've heard say that before, but that does fascinate me because I envision most people financing a swimming pool. Swim spas aren't as expensive, but you know, we're talking high end, we're talking kind of the same amount of money there. So it's, it's fascinating to me. Well, it's funny. I sort of uh, sarcastically will say this sometimes, but my hot tub clients will walk in and it's a six or $7,000 purchase and they want to finance it for 10 years. And I'll have somebody come in and buy a swim spa for $45,000 and just write a check. <laughs> so, yeah, it's so interesting. Do you think it just shows the difference in the type of client who wants a swim spa? Well, I, 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 I don't know if I could go that far, really. I think I, yeah. I, it's really people are starting to realize, I mean, in 10 years ago, a customer would walk in the door and they didn't even know what a swim spa was. They'd never even heard the term or the name right. swim spa. They didn't even understand what that meant. We would advertise swim spas and they would go, what is that? And, and yet today, my customers who walk in the door, they're educated. They've done their research. They've done their homework. I mean, they come in here and they're an encyclopedia and they understand the brands, the technologies. And so they're not coming in uninformed or, you know, uh, naive at all. They're coming in pretty strong with a pretty good understanding of what it's all about. So they know they need aquatic therapy and they're looking for a way to do it economically. And then once they see and touch and then certainly swim experience, they come in and all of a sudden it's just it's too easy for them to make the decision and they do it. I think that's an interesting point because it's about priorities. And when you start talking to people about their health, suddenly things become, it's important enough to them that they're like, yes, I'm going to buy this right now. <laughs> well, here's another another thing that we do that's really, I think it's really exciting. I mean, and I, I don't mean to 
promote Michael Phelps very much. But one of the one of the things Michael told me was his foundation is sponsoring infant pool safety training in a very large scale. And he's traveling the world, developing more uh, higher standards and getting more infants in the water and getting them pool safe. So one of the things we do here in store is we hire a professional swim instructor. She comes in and she'll be in a swim spa and they bring infants in as young as six months old and begin showing them to be pool safe at six and eight months. And we do that training right here in the store. And I offer the store for free and and the parents bring their kids in. The kids hate it. They're six and eight months old and they're dropping them in the water. Mom and dad are loving it. They're taking pictures. Isn't this cute? And the kids are screaming, you know, <laughs> a little hectic for us in the mornings. And we do it in the, sure. we do it in the wintertime because it's indoors. It's a comfortable setting and the water's warm. And in the summertime, they just go outdoors and do it in outdoor pools. But those programs are so great, though. I love seeing the pictures of those babies. They're I mean, they're babies swimming. They, I mean, but it's amazing. Trying to minimize and, and eliminate if we can infant pool drownings. They drop them in there fully clothed, which is kind of bizarre to see if you've never seen it. But they're teeth because that's how they'll fall in the pool at the backyard barbecue. Yeah. So they're taught to basically float, roll over on their back and float. And, you know, that, that'll give the adults in the area at least hopefully time to pull them out of the water. And that's right. the whole purpose of it. I know you're not doing that to sell swim spots. The people who come in and do the swim class, are they looking around and saying, oh, this would be kind of nice to have? (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) It is part of the promotional campaign. I mean, it's a great, it's a great opportunity to help the community, but no, there's also, you know, as a retailer, yeah, it's promotion. Mom and dad see these things up close and personal and realize, hey, the kids are having a blast. This would be cool to have in the backyard. (laughs) it always it always works it always works both ways (laughs) it does i'm just being honest it does it absolutely does sure but it's a great way to to also introduce younger kids to water Mm -hmm. it's warm it's private it's convenient because it's at home it's a very very low chlorine environment if if almost zero and we're not chemical free yet but we're really close so all of those just make it a, a very pleasant experience especially for the kids the mom and dad are trying to introduce them to the water and get them warm and friendly with it and away they go and pretty soon they're off to swim lessons and away they go dare i say that in some ways a swim saw is maybe a little safer than a pool because you've got that because it's covered unless you're using it and it unlike some of the barriers to try to get kids to stay out of a swimming pool, I would dare say you'd be hard to find, you know, a toddler who can open a swim spot cover. That's a really good point because, you know, with swimming pools, you've got fencing and door alarms and self-closing gates and whatever all that is. And the requirements vary a little bit by geographical territories. But with a swim spa, it's fully self-contained with a locking safety cover. That cover gives you the barrier protection that you would need if you're not around. And they're very simple to open and close and they lock. So even if you have a fairly savvy youngster, they can't get in it because it's locked. You put a key in it and lock it and it's, it's a great deal. So a locking safety cover, similar to a hot tub, but the covers we use on swim spas are quite a bit, uh, more robust and, and yeah, they're uh, just, I mean, it's, they're just bigger. It's, it's bigger. <laughs> well, but we, and I don't know if you've seen, but we use one piece rolling covers. Oh, sure. Yeah. I have seen those. Yeah. That's generally 99% of the market is a rolling cover. I mean, there's all sorts of levels of different covers and things you can do. There's a couple of companies out there that make push button operated deals, but the majority of the market by far is a one piece rolling cover because it's very, it's a one person 
locking safety cover. It's pretty amazing. So that affords all of the security that one would need. You know, I haven't actually seen one of those covers in person yet. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to go check that out. I've only seen them in pictures. There's a couple of manufacturers. Master Spas manufactures their own brand of a one-piece cover. But there's a couple of other companies out there that are doing it. And uh, it actually opens up a whole new element of the market because there's a lot of people who physically can't use the standard covers and use their right. swim spa. They just, yeah. you know, I mean, if you're an older woman and you're five foot three and you weigh 100 pounds soaking wet and that swim spa stands 60 inches off the ground. Well, you're kind of on your tiptoes trying to open that cover. you know. <laughs> no, it's true. That's one of the I feel like that's one of the kind of. I mean, and it's not just swim spas, it's hot tubs too. That's kind of the last frontier, I feel like, of innovation, where there's a lot of room for someone to come in and really disrupt the market with a new innovation. I agree. It's the, I called it the Achilles heel of the industry still. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, here we are, I think this industry is 35 years old or something, maybe longer, yeah. I don't know. But uh, that's still, they still use an archaic cover on hot tubs that they've used for the entire life of the industry. That's the Achilles heel. They can transform that, somebody, and there's a lot of people trying, but the yeah, swim absolutely. spa has made some real advancements in that area, and it's really remarkable to see what's, what's available, and they work. They really do. Let's hear now from our sponsor. When we come back, we chat about my recent visit to the Master Spas factory in Fort Wayne, and Joe has some interesting responses to the Spa Retailer 10. Experience true spa convenience at the touch of a button. Strong Spa's fully automated DuraShield hardcover is another example of Strong's innovative engineering in a long line of industry firsts. Strong has taken the durability and strength of its hardcover and made the ease of use even simpler. Effortlessly open and close DuraShield with a simple turn of a key. Strong's DuraShield hardcover holds 1,000 plus pounds and comes with a limited lifetime guarantee. I've seen the automated hardcover in person and it was impressive. Be sure to check it out at the next industry trade show. You obviously are a Master Spas dealer. Jeff, my co-host who couldn't be here today, he's an Endless Pools dealer. You know, you hate to single out like one brand over the other, but I will say I um, I was at Master Spas this spring and I had the chance to see their new swim spa facility and it's impressive. <laughs> Well, Master Spas, I mean, I, I, I don't want to shout their horn too much, but they're the only manufacturer in the world with almost a half a million manufacturing feet under roof. And I just had never seen anything like it. And I mean, I've been to a lot of hot tub factories. Um, Master Spas is definitely the biggest one I have seen. I know there are others that are also quite large that I have not seen. The swim spa, you know, facility itself was just, it was, it was great. And I, you know, obviously they have gone all in and have devoted a lot of capital and into it. And it, the line hadn't started yet when I was there, but I, you know, I'd love to go back one day when it's actually running because it, it was a sight to behold. Yeah. <laughs> Today it's up and running, and there's 260,000 square feet dedicated to just swim spas. We talked about master spas making their own covers, and that was kind of the interesting thing, too, is that as I walked through their facilities, you know, they had a facility for hot tubs, for swim spas, for rotomold, and for their own covers. I mean, they were yes. doing it all right there on that campus, and it was, it was interesting. You could see almost every kind of hot tub made and every kind of component made just right there. When I was an owner of Balboa Instruments, and for all those years, we had 75 manufacturers. It was interesting because I was literally inside the engineering department of almost every manufacturer around the world. 
So I saw every manufacturer from the inside out. And I can tell you there's a lot of manufacturers who don't even have an engineering department. <laughs> yes, I, I mean, I've, I've been to, I've been to lots, of, lots of factories myself, and I can attest to that. <laughs> but, you know, I, I can also say that there are a number of manufacturers who are really heavily invested in doing it right. Right. Uh, they got great engineering people, and they follow the the letters of the regulations to the law and i mean they're working real hard at innovation and technology and reestablishing efficiency standards and doing it really really well but it's a it's a short list compared to the longer list of the entire industry well and that kind of brings up my next question because you know master spas they weren't the first to come out with a swim spa but they were one of the first but now i mean it's it's just exploding i mean almost every manufacturer has some kind of swim spa product whether they're making it themselves or they bring it in for from somewhere else you know so more and more manufacturers are are making them and selling them and more and more dealers are carrying them i mean do you think we're going to get to a point where the market it's just saturated? No, I don't see saturation. I do see everybody's jumping into it because they're, they're, they're recognizing that it's it's a real opportunity for everybody. More and more people want swims and, you know, master, even master spas alone can't handle the entire market's requirement. Manufacturers around the world, actually, it's surprising to know that though the most of the world's product comes from North America. Right. I mean, there's a few manufacturers who are shipping product all the way to Israel, to the UK, to Australia. They're spread around pretty good and they're all built in, you know, they're, they're designed and engineered to meet the requirements of that location, but they're manufactured right here in the United States. It is one of the few industries where I feel like we can still say that. You're right. It's one of the few. Most manufacturers move a facility to a different country and set up manufacturing there and away they go. It's still more efficient for most manufacturers here in North America to build them here and ship them there. It's, it's interesting. I mean, we, we've started to see some European manufacturers and some Chinese manufacturers trying to kind of move their product in the, in North America. But yeah, this is kind of the place, the place to be for making a hot tub. <laughs> Going to move away from the swim spot questions and try to get a little bit more information on you, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sounds good. Fire away. I'm going to put Joe through our spa retailer 10 and see how he does. So Joe, what is your favorite vacation spot? It changes over, over life's history. <laughs> <laughs> it used to be warm water destinations because I was a big scuba diver with my wife and we would spend a lot of time in the water. And then it became as our ranching business exploded that uh, became more destination location relative to the horses and then we're empty nesters and my daughter's married and off and running and doing her own thing so now it's just you know there's no specific spot it's quiet time for me and my wife wherever we can find it (laughs) (laughs) do you guys still do you guys still have the ranch and the horsing business are you still doing that no we've actually downsized quite a bit and we've sold off all the horses and the ranches and we've become a little bit more suburbanized now we have a lot of dogs still a lot easier to manage than horses but uh, I'm sure. <laughs> What's your favorite restaurant or your favorite food or something along those lines? My wife and I, we have a, a favorite place we like to go to and we call it our date night restaurant. And it's, oh, I don't know, it's a restaurant that's close and it has sort of a contemporary menu. But uh, I'm a big salmon guy and my wife is, uh, you know, seafood. We can find seafood. We, that's our usually our first priority. What's the name of the restaurant? And, you know, you never know. Spa retailers are moving all over. Maybe there are, someone's there. They're looking for a good spot. <laughs> Back Bistro. Back Bistro. Back Bistro. In, in, it's inside of a something called the Palladio's Mall here in Folsom, California. It's a 
nice place. We love it. So I don't know if you're a reader, a watcher, or a listener, but what would be your favorite book or TV or podcast, TV show or podcast? Yeah, well, that's a whole other career for me. Yeah, so I'm a, <laughs> uh, a heavy, voracious reader, and I have educational backgrounds in Old Testament theology and, and New Testament, and I study history, world history, and cultural civilizations, and I teach extensively. Uh, I teach a group of high school kids. I have a number of different uh, Bible studies that we do, and uh, I teach a lot of people. The Bible Podcasts that I generally listen to are professors and uh, teachers from around the world that I associate with, and it's uh, it's all related to Old Testament or New Testament stuff. Uh, but uh, yes, whether it's podcasts or books, uh, we're reading up uh, all that we can. Who would you say your mentor is or was? My mentor in business was a man called Peter Schutz. Peter Schutz was a uh, degreed engineer out of the Midwest and ended up being the CEO of Porsche through the 80s. I think he retired 89 or 90 or something, but he was my okay. mentor in business. He was the first person that I recognized who understood, just a short story, he was interviewed to go to work for Porsche. And they, uh, Professor Porsche literally showed him around their, their whole plant. And he said, wow, you're doing everything right. I mean, you're engineering, you're innovating, you've got the greatest cars in the world and you build good stuff. What's the problem? He says, we don't make any money. <laughs> <laughs> so he hired Peter Schutz to be the CEO of Porsche to help him be profitable. And what Peter Schutz did, this is what really caught my eye, is he transformed the culture of the people that worked there. He made him feel a significant contribution as a member of a team. It wasn't just, you know, the wheel guys over there and, you know, somebody's making steering wheels over here or somebody's doing upholstery over there. They were all a part of a team. So he changed the culture of Porsche back then. And I was close to him and he was mentoring me a little bit. I used to be a member of uh, an organization called Tech. It's an acronym, T-E-C. It was called the, uh, the top executive committees, and it turned into today, they call it Vistage. It's the same oh, thing. Oh, sure. Yeah, I'm yeah. familiar with I was, Vistage. I was a member of Vistage for a lot of years, and I met him through that organization originally back in the early 80s. And, uh, stayed close to him, and he was one of my greatest mentors in business. So that's probably... One of, and you know, I, I like to tell people, I said, I have a lot of mentors. Some were yeah. good and some were bad. And even <laughs> a bad mentor in hindsight is a good experience because you kind of know what not to do. <laughs> sure. Well, and it's funny because I feel like you say he was your mentor in business, but you end up with different mentors for different aspects of your life, you know, as you go right. through life. In theology, there's a lot of professors I stay close to. There's one particular, his name was Chuck Missler. Chuck Missler, interestingly enough, was such an incredible individual. He he was the principal owner and chairman of the board of Western Digital at the time when I met him. And I met him in the early 70s. Last year, he passed away at 87. But when I met him, he was the chairman of the board of Western Digital, a big high-tech company in Southern California. And he Yeah, became, they make like hard drives yeah, and stuff, yeah, right? Right. Today, they're into all kinds of stuff. And he ended up trans, uh, transitioning. He was the chairman of the board of six publicly traded companies, three of which were defense-related. And he was an information scientist, really, by degree, and just an incredible academic. But he became what I think is one of the most highly regarded teachers of the Bible. He would have Bible studies in his office. When I met him in the early 70s, I stayed with him for all these years and studied under him for better half of 30 years. Wow. He was quite an intellectual. So the next question, what was your first yeah. real job? My first real... <laughs> it's funny because I didn't have a lot of them before I got my first <laughs> business going, but I was... Uh, 
I was hired on into a restaurant by the name, I think it was Howard Johnson's, I think was the name of it. And I was a bus boy, which lasted two days. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I said, I, this just isn't going to work for me. I can't do this. They said, well, you're a good guy. We want to keep you. So let's make you a dishwasher. And that lasted for two days. And I said, I can't do this. <laughs> this isn't working. I then went to work for a gas station and ended up managing that gas station. And here in, uh, this was back in about uh, 1974, we had this thing called an energy crunch in California. And in California, you were only allowed to buy gasoline on odd or even days determined by the license plate on your car. And so really? your, your license plate ended at an odd or an even number. And that determined what day you could buy gasoline. And in 1974, my gas station was one of three that were opened on a Sunday in California. And I can tell you, we had lines of people miles long trying to buy gas. And it was quite an experience. And, and uh, that actually led me to meet uh, my then coming partner in business. He came in to buy gasoline one day. And back then it was bizarre because people would come in with little little cars or vans or whatever they had. And they basically the entire back of the vehicle was a gas tank. Sure. Because it was hard to get gas. And so he buys yeah. all this gas in his van. He bought like 120 gallons in his van and then realized he didn't have his license or didn't have his, <laughs> didn't have his wallet, which happened a lot. So I said, okay, well, here's the routine. You know, leave me something of value. Go get your wallet and come back and pay me. Well, he left me this wad of keys. And I bet there was 150 keys on this key ring. And I said, well, they got to be a key to something important. So I'll take them. <laughs> you know, <laughs> When he came back, we struck up a conversation. And he was telling me about he had developed this personal watercraft vehicle in his dad's swimming pool. And he needed, <laughs> he needed somebody to develop engines and help him build this thing. And so I came aboard with him in, in, in 1975 in Newport Beach, California. We were in a little shop building the, the origins of this personal watercraft vehicle. Back then, there were 35 boat manufacturers in Newport Beach alone. And in 1979, the second energy crunch kicked in. And, and then there were two manufacturers left in Newport Beach. And one of them moved to San Diego, and their name was Hobie Cat. I don't know anything about Hobie Cat. I've never heard that before. Yeah, Hobie Cat is a sailboat, a twin hull, oh, okay. a catamaran type sailboat, and they they became the world's largest little catamaran sailboat, and everybody was buying Hobie Cats. That was a, that was a brand name, but uh, can you tell I've always lived in landlocked states? <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember your first spa order? Then, like, who, what it was, and who who you sold it to, and my what gosh, you sold them? A, what a great question! Yeah, my first. Well, it wasn't a hot tub. It would have been a would have been a swim spa. The first one I sold. I think it was, I think it was, um, if I remember right, there was a doctor in what we call the East Bay. There's San Francisco and the peninsula is a bay. And then on the, the eastern half of that bay, they call it the East Bay. So it's all these cities that border San Francisco around the East Bay. Okay. I think if he was a doctor on the East Bay, he was a soccer coach and he was teaching soccer at a field just down the street from my store and he ended up walking in and he's going wow these are cool and he ended up buying one i think it was my first swim spa customer he bought a momentum at the time and that was a dual oh, temperature yeah. so there was a hot tub and a swim spa there you go <laughs> Two <birds with> one <laughs> store. how do you say that, yeah, that cliche is. so if you weren't doing this what would you do you know if i i can honestly say if i wasn't selling master spa the brand i would be out of the business 
But if I was out of the business, I would be a full-time teacher, probably teaching the high school kids the Bible. I would be going full-time. Stranger things have happened. <laughs> well, it's interesting because I kind of expected you to say that you would be doing the, the horse thing, but no. No, my, you know, I'm... I'm That's 60. a lot of work. <laughs> it is. It is. It's very expensive. I used to tell, I had a big ranch, a lot of performance horses doing a lot of things. And I used to tell, and I had some that were rock stars and they were making a lot of money. But I said, you don't make money. You just minimize your expenses. <laughs> uh, you know, and, uh, but yeah, no, I'm 62, coming 63. If I had to do it all over again, you know, I would be, I'd probably teach full time. What has been maybe the worst product you've brought in or the idea or, or the biggest flop you've ever had in your, in your store or your or business? I mean, you've had a long business career. You could, you could go back to your early days. <laughs> well, the first three businesses uh, I buried. <laughs> <laughs> I went bankrupt pretty quick because I was pretty young over the years. And so you make a lot of mistakes. But, you know, sure. it was Bill Gates in his book, I think, uh, Business at the Speed of Light or something it was called. It's been so many years ago. It's probably 12, 14 years ago he wrote that book. One of the things he said was he was hiring business people into Microsoft who came from a failed business because he said they're the best people who know not what to do. <laughs> They've made all the mistakes and they know where the pitfalls are. So he was hiring those. And I said, well, I guess I could have went to Microsoft because the first three that I started, we buried. And then <laughs> it was actually when Balboa Instruments was formed, we actually formed it in 1979. And I didn't run into Ron Clark in the spa business till about 84. And then that became such a major aspect of the business that just evolved into a 100% focused on the, the pool and spa business. So the reasons why we ask people that question is because usually something that they've learned a lot from and so it's interesting to see what that has brought <laughs> yeah you know and i don't know um, i think today if i look at it today what are my biggest mistakes well i'm a big fan of marketing it's a real passion of mine and i spend a lot of money in marketing my, my single largest uh line item in my p l is marketing i think i've experimented a lot and failed yeah. a lot partly because this world is so dynamic it's changing so fast we have so many new cultures running up around us and the kids to, I don't know, I call them kids. Anybody under 30 is a kid. Those demographics and the geographics and all of that stuff is changing. And you can't do a marketing plan today that I did five years ago. It doesn't yeah. work, you know, yeah. it's, whether it's social media or AdWords or whatever you do, TV, radio, it's, it's been, uh, it's been a real challenge because you gotta, you gotta stay fluid and you gotta keep changing. And I've made a lot of mistakes, but you don't know sometimes if it's going to work until you try it. And then you realize, well, that didn't work. So let's try something else. <laughs> <laughs> it's good of you to say that because I think that's an area where people probably often fail for all of those reasons that you just stated. And you're not alone guys. <laughs> Well, yeah, I tell you, it's, it's, uh, you got to fail. You really do to really understand one, your commitment level. You can make mistakes and fail at something and just go, well, that didn't work. And you just turn around and try again. Well, then you know, you're committed Yeah. because <laughs> if you fail and you kind of crash and burn at something, then that may be enough to take you out. You know, you just mm -hmm. don't know. Just get, and it varies by individual. And I think there's also a big variable just looking at the country, the geographics of the country and the climates and you know, I, I sometimes really wonder how the folks on the East Coast do what they do with the weather they have. I mean, out here in California, you know, I mean, I, I could basically be outdoors 365 days out of the year. I know. Uh, we get a few rainy days, but and sometimes more than, than a few. But on the East Coast, I mean, it seems like when the snow comes, 
they're shut down for six months. <laughs> it's like, wow. <laughs> I know. Well, and then this year, it felt like the whole country was underwater for a couple of months there. Exactly. So. Uh, they were in a freezer for a number of months, and then it was nothing but floods and hurricanes and torrential downpours, and now it's a heat wave. <laughs> I know. Yeah. It's just, you just can't win. So, so conversely, what would yep. you say is the, is the best idea or the biggest game changer you've ever made in your business? Well, I think originally today it wouldn't be as significant as it was when I did it, but I introduced uh, the cliche is CRM. It's an acronym for a customer relationship management system, but I implemented something called Infusionsoft into this business way back when I started it, actually, probably within 12 months of my start date, I incorporated Infusionsoft and it's a relationship management technology that was built behind my website. And it basically creates an ongoing line of communication with anybody who touches my website or calls in or visits a store. And it has the horsepower of replacing almost an entire marketing department. And it's entirely automated. I remember when you did that, because at the time, you're right. It was a big deal that you were doing that because not very many people in the industry was. So, yeah, I, I remember we talked to you about that at the time. And I remember Dave, our old owner, being like, Megan, you got to see this. It's just amazing. <laughs> Well, and I, I still have on the wall, this, I think it was uh, the best thing I did for my business. And there's a picture of an article you guys ran. I think it was you guys that did it. Uh, somebody did. I'm pretty sure that was us. I remember working on that. Yeah. <laughs> I still have it on my wall. Oh, that's funny. And it was interesting because a large part of the industry started to adapt it and take off and run with it. And now through competition and technology, there's a lot of different tools out there that people use. So it's sort of been diffused now into lots of different areas. But I still, to this day, am a heavy promoter of Infusionsoft as a technology and I still love it and you use it and work it. It works. That's great. No, that's great. I wasn't sure if you were still using it or not, but you yeah, are. I am. What would you say is the scariest leap of faith you've ever taken, either in business or your personal life, either, either one? Scariest leap of faith? Uh, you know, I think for me personally, I've been in business for myself most of my entire life. And there are many, many, many times that I've said, you know, I think I need to go to work for somebody. <laughs> Let them carry all the headaches and the burdens of running a business. But I think starting a business is a big leap of faith. And I've started a few of them and each one of them was not easy. It was a real period of self-reflection and um, just do I have something here where I can make a real difference? And is it going to be worth it? You know, it's more than the monetary aspects. I mean, you got to make a living. But I've always felt, can I really make a contribution? Can I make a difference? Can I help people somehow through this business? And that's one of the reasons I'm still in the, hot, the swim spa business is I see people's lives change. And that's why I stay in it, because yeah. it's really rewarding to see people's lives really do change for the better. Thank you for being on the podcast. I feel like that's a great place to end it. You've survived our, our 10 questions, and <laughs> we ended on a, we okay. ended on a, a good note there. <laughs> wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure and an honor to participate. Yeah, well, thank you. It was, it was, great, to have, it was great to have you on. podcast is produced by Spa Retailer Magazine. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SpaRetailer.com, and the Spa Retailer app. Please leave us a review and let us know what you think or email us at podcast at SpaRetailer.com.